Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, Disciples' Journey. This episode will cover section 58 of the Doctrine and Covenants. So, uh, this is given in August of 1831, and many of the saints are starting to come to Missouri from the Thompson and Colville branches in Ohio. Um, the Lord starts by talking about tribulation, and that if we uh, are faithful in our tribulation, we will receive a uh, reward in heaven. He says, but after mu- but it's after much tribulation come the blessings. Faith precedes the miracle. This this is a doctrine of Christ. This is a truth that we can see through all, all Scripture. James chapter 1 talks about this. Doctrine and Covenants section 101. Doctrine and Covenants section 95. Doctrine and Covenants section 136. Helaman 12, Helaman 15, and on and on and on. Uh, Hebrews, the Romans, uh, in the New Testament, we are taught that through faith, through patience and perseverance, through trials, we qualify ourselves for the rewards waiting awaiting us in heaven. Also, we qualify for peace now in this life, despite the tribulations we're going through. Christ, in his last uh, night of mortality, taught his disciples. He said, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You know, In the world you're going to have this tribulation, but I, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Right? But that wasn't a promise for the eternities. That was a promise for, for his disciples, for what they were about to go through after he left. That was a promise for Peter, who was going to be persecuted and eventually crucified upside down. That was a promise to who, he, though he wasn't present at the time, to Paul, who was going to go through persecution after persecution after persecution and prison and prison. That was a promise to you, wherever you are and wherever you're listening to this. That was a promise to you that as you are faithful, keep your covenants, that no matter what trial and tribulation the Lord uh, allows to come to you, that you will uh, be able to f- have peace and joy in this life. Um, in talking about tribulation, Elder George Q. Cannon said, the saints should always remember that God sees not as man sees. He said, if he deprives them of any present blessing, it is that he may bestow upon them greater and more glorious ones by and by. Sacrifice. Sacrifice of worldly comfort because of our convictions and living to our faith and and not denying the faith. Sacrifice of time. Sacrifice of money. Sacrifice of whatever is nothing more than a preparation for something better. Christ says, give me your all. Give me yourself. What does he give you in return? He doesn't give you a better version of yourself. That's what a lot of people think. That's what a lot of people hope. That's what I'm guilty of sometimes, is saying, you know, just make me be a better version of Jarrett. No, what Christ says is, give me your all. Give me all of you. Give me all of yourself. And what do you get in return? I will give you myself. He will. He, he says he's going to give himself to us. And there is none other name under heaven whereby men can be saved other than Jesus Christ. And so he says, look, yeah, you want to be better? Cool, that's great, that's cute. But give me yourself and I will give you something far greater. Go through this trial, go through this tribulation. Give me this sacrifice, this your comfort and your will, because I've got something way better waiting for you. 
in this in this section, um, you may be familiar with with uh, the, these verses, and where the Lord says, "For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things." So he say he says to us, "Look, you want to you should be anxiously engaged. Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness." This is this is something that's a this is a hard thing to to grasp, I think, for me. Because it's like, okay, so I, I need to have the Spirit to guide me, but I shouldn't be commanded in all things. But if the Spirit's guiding me, is that Him commanding me in all things? And I honestly don't know if I have the answer to that. What I do know is the more we do good, the easier it becomes to do more good. And as we seek for good things to do, the Lord will definitely help us. He'll guide us in that path. Um, I, I think of it like my kids, my kids, right? I, we, my wife and I ask them to clean their rooms all the time. It's something that they know they need to do. But, you know, and, and sometimes we have to say on a Saturday, hey, everyone, you go clean your room. You're cleaning your room before you can go out and play. And it gets clean, and that's great. But there are times where, and this happened recently, my oldest son, um, he he uh, was was in his room. It was time for bed. But he told us we, he couldn't really, he was having a hard time sleeping. So we just said, okay, well, just as long as, if you're in your bedroom, that's fine. You can read or do something. And the next morning we went in to his room and it's spotless. He just cleaned it because he's like, I, and we talked to him and he's like, I couldn't sleep. So I just started cleaning it. So he just cleaned his room. He's eight, by the way. That was awesome, right? He cleaned his room. He knew that was something he needed to do. It's something that had been commanded to him in the past. You know, it's something he knows he needs to do. But we didn't, he was not commanded in that thing. I think that's kind of what the Lord says to us, right? We know what's right and what's wrong. We know good things. We have the spirit to tell us what's good. He's told us in the scriptures commandments to do things, to reach out to our neighbors, uh, to love each other, to whatever, right? All the list is endless. C- commandments. He's, we have those. And I think that's kind of his point is you have that, you have the spirit to guide you. So I shouldn't have to tell you again, reach out to your neighbor, minister to them. You know that that's what you should do. Just do it. You shouldn't be like, oh, I didn't know I needed to do that. No one no one asked me, so I, I didn't know I needed to reach out to that neighbor who just had a baby or whose uh, mother just died or whatever, right? Do it. Because we know that it's it's the right thing. This comes back to me, this, this thought that's been on my mind a lot lately, and that is the building up of Zion. If we have as our main goal and purpose the building of Zion – then a lot of things just naturally flow out of that. A lot of doing good, being anxiously engaged. This is this is the Lord in in Missouri, the place where Zion's uh, the in verse seven, where the foundation is being laid of Zion. And what does He tell them? He says, "Be anxiously engaged in a good work." This is Zion. So you know you know the goal. Be unified. Build Zion. I'm not going to tell you all the things that lead into that, though. I'm not going to give you the specifics. So President uh, Benson said, Usually the Lord gives us the overall objective to be accomplished and some guidelines to follow. 
but he expects us to work out most of the details and methods. The methods and procedures are usually developed through study and prayer and by living so that we can obtain and follow the promptings of the Spirit. So, that doesn't mean we don't follow the Spirit. That doesn't, because if we have the Spirit, that isn't Him commanding us in all things. That's us counseling with the Lord in all that we do. Less spiritually advanced people, such as those in the days of Moses, had to be commanded in many things. Today, those spiritually alert look at the objectives, check the guidelines laid down by the Lord and his prophets, and then prayerfully act without having to be commanded in all things. This attitude prepares men for godhood. Sometimes the Lord hopefully awaits on his children to act on their own, and then when they do not, they lose the greater prize, and the Lord will either drop the entire matter and let them suffer the consequences, or he will have to spell it out for them in greater detail. Usually I fear the more that he has to spell it out, the smaller our reward. Another great part that I love of this section is just after the Lord says to be anxiously engaged, he says, sometimes I command men and they don't do it. And then when they don't get the reward, they say, look, that wasn't the commandment. The Lord the Lord makes it very clear. I command men and, and men obey not. And I revoke and they receive not the blessing. If I command you and you don't do something, you're not getting the blessing. If the, the Lord works in if-thens, if you do this, if you keep your part, then I will do this. If you don't, then you can't expect the blessings from heaven. You can't expect those things to come. So, later on in the section, the Lord says, If you repent, then what? He says, Behold, he who has repented of his sins... The same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. If you repent, then you are forgiven. That's an, it's an if-then, easy. There's an, if you repent, truly, and if it's a true repentance, there is no other outcome than forgiveness and the Lord not remembering your sins. Second Nephi 9 tells us that there is not anything save the Lord knows it. So if he forgets it, if he, does, if he remembers them no more, that means he knows them no more. That means that they did they don't exist because there's not anything save he knows it. So if he doesn't remember it, it doesn't exist. If he doesn't know it, it doesn't exist. That how powerful is that? That this the, one of the things we we describe the Lord as being is omniscient, meaning all knowing. He knows everything. And yet he promises us he will remember our sins no more if we confess and forsake. Um Elder Uchtdorf said, Satan will try to make us believe that our sins are not forgiven because we can remember them. Satan is a liar. He tries to blur our vision and lead us away from the path of repentance and forgiveness. God did not promise that we would not remember our sins. Remembering will help us avoid making the same mistakes again. But if we stay true and faithful, the memory of our sins will be softened over time. This will be part of the needed healing and sanctification process. Uh, President Kimball said, No one can ever be forgiven of any transgression until there is repentance. And no one has repented until he has bared his soul and admitted his intentions and weaknesses without excuses or rationalizations. He must admit to himself that he has grievously sinned. When he has confessed to himself without the slightest minimizing of the offense or rationalizing its seriousness or soft-pedaling its gravity and admits it is as big as it really is, then he is ready to begin his repentance. And any other elements of repentance are reduced in value. Until the conviction is established totally, and then repentance may mature and forgiveness may eventually come. He also said, um, 
Those who heed the call, whether members or non-members of the church, can be partakers of the miracles of forgiveness. God will wipe away from their eyes the tears of anguish and remorse and consternation and fear and guilt. Dry eyes will replace the wet ones, and smiles of satisfaction will replace the worried and anxious look. What a relief, what comfort, what joy. Those laden with transgressions and sorrows and sin may be forgiven and cleansed and purified if they will return to the Lord, learn of Him, and keep His commandments. And all of us needing to repent of day-to-day follies and weaknesses can likewise share in this miracle. My takeaway from this is that is that as we truly repent, and the reason I read the first quote from Elder President Kimball is because I really loved that description of true, what true repentance is. You know, you can, it's it's a, f- a full acknowledgement of that what we've done, and then moving forward, and it's you know a, a confession t- to the Lord and to those who we may have trespassed against. Anyway, so I love that quote, but what my takeaway is is that as we truly repent, the Lord does not is not uh, slow to hear that. He does not remember our sins anymore. Ted R. Callister taught that if we feel the atonement in our life, sorry, excuse me, if we feel the Spirit in our life, then that's a sign, a witness that we are experiencing the cleansing power of the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life. And if we can feel the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life, we are becoming pure. We are becoming clean. We are becoming perfect. We are becoming like Him. And as we continue on that path of repentance and purification and sanctification and improvement, we will be given spiritual gifts, which we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. And as we are bestowed upon with spiritual gifts and we exercise them to build Zion, to reach out to others, to gather Israel, then we're going to feel the Spirit more. That's, these are all acts of repentance and further repentance which then qualifies us for more of the Spirit, which then, you know, it's, it's this loop. The Lord forgives us. The Spirit cleanses us. We're lifted, brought to a higher state. And those, and, you know, eventually, by and by, and not in this life, but in the, in the life to come, we will, be, we will be perfect. We will be like Him. We will, we will be His sons and His daughters. But right now, we can have that power. Right now, we can have that peace. Right now, in this life, we can have the joy that comes, the joy of the saints. We can have the peace that he offers, not as the world offers, but as he offers. We can have that now. Why? Because of the power of the atonement of Christ. To say otherwise, to say that there are no righteous men, to say that we can't be righteous or that we can't be worthy is to deny the atonement of Jesus Christ. To say that some other person can't be holy and worthy and, 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 uh, and righteous is to deny the power of Jesus Christ, to set it at naught, to trample it under our feet. No, we shouldn't be doing that. Instead, what we should be doing Section 64, this is what the Lord says in section 54. Verily the sound must go forth from this place into all the world and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel must be preached unto every creature with, si- with signs following them that believe. We must be gathering 
Israel, and building Zion. And we do that by first allowing ourselves to be gathered. We do that by being anxiously engaged in a good work, by enduring our trials and troubles with faith. We do that by repenting of our sins, allowing the, the, the atonement of Christ to work in our life. And as we do that, the natural, the natural flowing of being, of being gathered is to then start to gather. As we build Zion in our homes, the next natural thing that happens, it's a natural progression. The, the gospel works in this natural progression in a, in a, in a, in a cycle, in a circle that, that feeds into each other. Alma teaches that we need to have faith unto repentance. And when I say Alma, I mean Amulek in Alma 34. What does faith unto repentance lead us to? Repent, what does the repentance lead us to? The first fruits of repentance? Baptism. Mormon teaches us that in Romans chapter 8. Baptism leads to the gift of the Holy Ghost. Faith, repentance, baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost, these things lead to each other. That's how the gospel works. And as we get, are gathered, the next natural step is to gather others. As we build Zion in our own home, the next step is to reach out to others, to love them as we love ourselves, and to continue building Zion wherever we may be. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you join me in the next episode as we discuss Section 59 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Best of luck in your studies this week, and I hope to talk to you soon.